This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology at Cornell University. Hello, I'm Janice Whitlock, and I'm the Associate Director for the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. I'm your host for today's podcast series on doing translational research. It's a real pleasure today for me to have Dr. Kim Kopko, who is a Senior Extension Associate in the Department of Policy Analysis and Management in the College of Human Ecology. Her research and extension work examines parenting and family processes, and she's involved in a number of current research and outreach projects related to parenting and child learning, teens being raised by custodial grandparents, and the use of research and evidence-based parent education programs to promote positive parenting behaviors and strengthen families. She also maintains strong academic interest in parenting and child social policies in Scandinavian countries. She's here to talk with us today about a newer project that she and colleagues are leading that explore the feasibility and impact of expanding existing services provided by school-based, school-based health centers in rural New York that's aimed at enhancing the sustainability of healthy families and communities. So welcome, Kim. Thank you, Janice. So I want to start off by asking if you could summarize your main research interests. I covered quite a bit, and I think you you have a lot of different interests. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what the main ones are? Main research interests, I would say, are um, any projects that involve parenting, generally speaking. So I have the project, of course, that we'll talk about today, Mm -hmm. which is um, parent education in school-based health centers. I'm also um, engaged in a project right now with Maria Nella Casasola, where we look at Um, parental attitudes about play and how that factors into the toy selections that they make for their children and how they engage with their children in the play. So those two research projects really focus around the parenting component. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also, I'm um, on the tail end of a project that I've been working with a long time with Rachel Denefin on um, grandparenting. So this is definitely looking more at the parenting aspects because there are, in, in our research um, on grandparenting, there is no parent in the home. Mm-hmm. So the grandparents are the parents. So it's parenting from that perspective a second time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are my three research projects on parenting. I also direct the parenting project at Cornell in which we provide university-level support for all the parent educators who are out in the Cornell Cooperative Extension System. And that's really more just trying to meet the needs of what the educators bring to us on the project. So we'll write research briefs on the latest topics or parent pages that they can actually use in their classes. Um, we do professional development in-service uh trainings for them, as you know, Mm because you've presented many times. You're one of their favorites. Mm -hmm. And um, that is definitely more on the professional development for parent educators, curriculum development, updating existing parenting curricula. So it's all around around parenting, um, generally speaking. Uh, How did you get involved in parenting? Where did that come from early on? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I'd have to go back to the work I did for my dissertation. Um, I did my graduate work in human development and had classic developmentalists on my committee, so Steve Cece, Wendy Williams, and Steve Hamilton, who were all very much (laughs) in, um, in, you know, the the classic developmental world or parenting. And I would have to, 
I think, search my brain a little bit more to say why that interest evolved. But at the time in human development, um, when I came into the program, Mon Cochran was still there, Christy Lakey's. So there was a lot of work going on around parenting and child development um, in the department at that time. Judy Ross Bernstein, who was doing her work mm -hmm. with students. So um, I'm, I'm sure that I was informed, my interests were informed very much by kind of the, the, um, the folks who were in the department at that time. And then my dissertation was on the, um, the role of parenting in child development around activities. So I remember going to Steve and saying, um, this was before the whole hurried child um, phenomenon and it hit popular culture that children are too overscheduled. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember saying to Steve, I, I'm not sure this is all a bad thing. I, you know, some, some people I've talked to said the best time was in um, the car on the way to soccer. I had the best conversation with my dad. You know, we eat families, we eat meals together as a family after my, you know, my swim meets, my tennis matches. And Steve said, go find out. <laughs> so three years later, I had my, my um, data. And, but I looked at the differences between, um, different groups, like I remember being six to eight and eight to ten, and really it was the role of parents as socializers for their children, so that's just another parenting role they take on, and um, the results were interesting. So I came about my interest, I think, in in the, the academic milieu that I was in at the time, yeah. also some of my own interests, and then, of course, I found Rachel and Laura, uh, Laura Colosi, who were doing parenting work at that time, too, in a different department, so it kind of just all as many things we do, it, it sort of just had different threads right. that pulled together. That's great. So tell us a little bit about the, the current project you're working on, the one related to school-based health centers. Yeah, this is a really interesting project. Um, so uh, my colleague, Sharon Tennyson, who um, is um, involved in the SEPA program, the Cornell Institute for Public Affairs, and John Sippel. Uh, Sharon's also in policy analysis and management, and John Sippel, who's in development sociology, this, I mean, I can go kind of way back, but I'd say um, the impetus for this was John has a colleague who is um, a head pediatrician for the Bassett Healthcare Centers, and I'll get to that point in a moment. But he reached out to John several years ago and said, "Help! I'm, mm -hmm. I'm seeing children in the the centers as a pediatrician, and I can touch their lives on the clinical part. If they have an earache, I can help. If they're having um, dental hygiene issues, we can help. But then I know when I'm sending them home to. And is there a team at Cornell who can address these issues? So to back up a little bit in." Um, these are school-based health centers are urban and rural. There are many more urban ones than rural ones. We're working in the rural context in a community in upstate. And you have these, um, these beautiful schools in the middle of nowhere in these mm -hmm. rural counties because towns that each had their own school have closed down and now all the children are in this one, housed in this one big school. Many of them are, are stunningly beautiful campuses. They yeah. have everything from pre-K-3 all the way up till 12th grade and programs for parents to return and get education. So they're very resource rich in that regard. And many of them have um, school-based health centers. So this is not your nurse's office where you go and there's one cot and you're there till your parent comes and picks you up. They have um, a dental clinic, a mental health clinic, um, 
they're like many hospitals. They give vaccines, they write prescriptions, they see the children, and they're in the schools, but they're not part of the schools. They are separate from the schools. And so um, parents can choose to enroll their children in these in these health clinics, but as you can imagine, they offer a lot of convenience. Mm-hmm. So um, Chris Colheed, who I, I mentioned just by pediatrician previously, his name is Chris Colheed. He is the one who reached out to John. And I know, um, you know, Janice, you were a part of this, where we were yeah, we were trying to be brought together as a very diverse group, yeah. a very interdisciplinary group of folks who had different research interests and who could bring strengths to bear on this. Yeah. Um, so it kind of um, stemmed from that, and we wrote several different grants. This most recent one is what's called an Integrated Extension and Research Project. So there is a extension component and a research component, which is really nice because the um, the extension component gets it much more in the applied world. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing, we we visited about five or six different pilot sites. Um, we had an idea for an intervention, and the the big kind of picture idea is how can we use these school-based health centers to expand services? And thinking in kind of the Robert Wood Johnson philosophy, um, healthy families, healthy communities. So we were looking to go beyond a clinical health perspective and say, how can we help answer the call of the Mm -hmm. pediatrician and say, how can we maybe bring our expertise to bear and bring a Cornell team onto this for the healthy families, healthy communities component? Um, We visited about six different sites, talked to school-based health center staff, um, everyone involved, and the the resounding reply was parenting, parent education. Mm -hmm. So we all got in the car on our way back and said, sounds like we need to do something about parent education. And so the idea is to have um, what I call a portable parenting model, um, sometimes referred to as embedded parenting, where we would take um, a Cornell Cooperative Extension parent education specialist and house them in the school-based health center. Mm -hmm. So they can provide this service. So again, it gets at that expansion of services. and it took us quite a bit of time to figure out the local doing, and I'll talk about this more in, in the talk, but the, the community aspect of working with the community, if this was going to work, the person that we put in that role was critical. Well, so that gets to one of the next big questions, which is how have you involved, I mean, in this case, it seems like a no-brainer. You ha- sounds like you had to involve non-academic and mm-hmm. community-based people. So tell us a little bit about how that's worked and who, how, 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 what the key roles have been. Okay. So what I'll describe to you in probably five minutes took a year mm-hmm. to do. Um, this was a three-year project, and we realized by year two we were one year behind because of these particular elements that I'll talk about. And it was um, having buy-in. Of course, this school site was interested because it was one of our pilot sites, and um, they did want to work with us. But we were working with the superintendent, and then you realize that that person may be the big idea person, but who you're going to be working with in the day-to-day implementation of what you're trying to accomplish with your project were were different folks. So it was getting to know who are those people um, and then building relationships with them. Um, That just took a lot of trips um, to the school, breakfast meetings, lunch meetings, um, meetings at the school, really just one-on-one, face-to-face, the human element, Mm -hmm. the the human aspect of we need you, here's our project. It's really not an expectation that you're going to go into a community and get your data and do your project and walk away. 
mm-hmm. there's there's um, cultivating the buy-in and cultivating those relationships. That was critical. I can't stress how critical that mm-hmm. was. Um, and then it became very clear that we were hiring a person from campus to do the work, to be our school, um, our parent support specialist in the school. That also became very clear very fast that we had to hire someone in the, in the community, mm-hmm. a local person. Mm-hmm. So it's still a campus hire, but we got a list of all the agencies that the school works with. We posted our position description. We developed the staff position description with the superintendent and the people that this person would be working most closely with, and we got our person through advertising that way. And um, she's been phenomenal, uh-huh. but that that close connection is what's the key to this being um, to being successful so far. So let's go back out just to f- for a few minutes because you know you, you talked a little bit about th- this project, but I know that as you said earlier, you've done a lot in this field in general, parenting and so forth. So, if you could think about the broader areas in which you do research, what are some things you think you'd like the the general public to know? Are there two or three things that might be of importance to sort of ordinary people? Mm. That's a very good question. I think number one, if if there is a an issue or a challenge that a team from Cornell can bring their expertise to bear. So far, we've been able to do that. And I would say if, if there is something that is um, that makes more sense to bring an academic team or a team of researchers or a team with very much applied experience to bear on your issue, that um, it's always good to ask because we don't know what that need is and we may be able to help with that need. As I mentioned, the SEPA program earlier, we have master's students who are really always looking for projects, um, either consulting projects or capstone projects, which are a year long. We're very resource rich in having um, graduate students and even faculty get involved in these types of projects. As you know, through the Brompenbrenner Center and in the College of Human Ecology, our mission is outreach. We have a huge outreach mission in addition to teaching and research. So there's, um, it's what we do, yeah. and we can only know what the issues and the challenges are if, if they're brought to us in, in many ways. Um, it's one thing for us to think up a project or think of something, you know, look at something that might need um, some intervention or some prevention type of resources brought to bear on that. But it's it's even better to hear from the people who are in it mm-hmm. because they can better articulate that. So that's one, one thing I would say is um, don't be afraid to call on us mm-hmm. because it, it just makes our life rich and our, our, our resource rich and interesting as well. Um, what we learn from these types of projects, we can then share. So some of the sites that we visited as pilot sites, um, they have now been in contact with us in Mm a, hey, you reached out, can we still be part of this? So the interest is there, the need is still there. And I think that now um, one of of the um, elements that we're doing with this project is submitting a larger grant to Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to say, we, we've learned quite a bit. We can expand this. We know how to expand this now. To have taken on three sites initially would have been um, uh, not, a good, not a good strategy because there was so much to learn. And we are still learning because we're still in the project, but we, we've learned enough to be able to expand this, I think, successfully to some of these other sites. So we can, um, we can bring our knowledge to bear and, and expand what we've learned from this type of work. Um, I think the final thing I would say is that 
the interdisciplinary nature of the work is so unique that I couldn't do this on my own. This is the only type of project I've ever done this way. I've always done my own research projects or with a colleague who has an interest in the same area. But bringing a team together with very different areas of expertise, it really is, you know, lar um, what's the saying, larger than the sum of its parts. And so what we've been able to accomplish together is, um, I, I would think it's safe to say, something that we couldn't accomplish on our own. And this is the only type of project I've been involved in like this. So there's, there's also that element. If there's a project that allows an interdisciplinary team to come together, then we have even more to share than if, you know, this I was staying within my my parenting confines of the type of work I would do. This this is much bigger than one researcher or even two researchers. Mm -hmm. So there's there's quite a bit I think that the that the community at large can benefit from. Right. I'll bet it took a little bit of time for you all to sort of mix your flavors as it were as a team. Very I much. I found that too. It's you have to learn the lexicons. And, yes, yeah. very much. It's interesting because yeah. um, we were just having this conversation where we sent um, something off to a member of the team outside of me and Sharon and John, and we, we were just saying, fingers crossed, like we don't, we know what to expect from each other, but you still get that sort of one ripple out, yeah. and the expectations are a little, you just don't know what right. to expect. So yes, that's, that's a very astute comment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then lastly, Kim, if there were one real world change that you could make based on everything that you've learned, what would it be? Oh boy. Um, I I was asked a similar question phrased a little differently, and I think this this is the you know the gist of your question. If I had um, as much money as I could have to do something related to the work that I'm doing, um, an endless budget, I would say um, offer programming standardized programming for children zero to three. I think it's so important. From a developmental perspective, um, we have to level the playing field. And the earlier on we do that, the better chance we have. We have to give all children a chance to at least have a good start in life. Whether it sticks, whether it holds, where, you know, where things go from there. But I feel that when we start on an uneven playing field, it's just going to stay that way as children continue to, you know, to grow and, and develop. And um, it's unfortunate because in other countries we don't see that as much. There's, there's much more, we have a wider gap. There may be gaps in other countries, but it's a smaller gap. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's just it helps standardize everything for children. They don't ask to be born in certain circumstances. And if we could give them at least a starting chance, that's where, that's where I'd put my, um, my efforts and ideally um, a lot of money, mm -hmm. but, but worthwhile, well spent. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for being with us today. I think we've reached about the end of our time. You're welcome. Thank you. This is great. Yeah. information about translational research or the work of the Bronfenbrenner Center, please visit www.bctr.cornell.edu.